Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Sometimes it can be, large group can be kind of an intimidating place to come and to kind of get to know people. That's why we have avenues like uh, small groups, kind of smaller settings to get to know people. So uh, whenever you come into RUF, we always have, we have bulletins in the front. Uh, even if you need to get up and go get them, you're welcome to. But uh, as Jonah was saying, on this little bulletin here, we have the songs listed every week. There's a little QR code that will take you to our Aggie RUF songbook. So if you're in the back and you can't see and you're short like me, that's okay, there's no shame. Uh, and you can uh, scan that and go to our, uh, our songbook. But, all right, uh, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the Old Testament books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. So I'm gonna read our passages for us tonight. Um, they're on your bulletin. They'll also be on the screen behind me here. And we're gonna be really looking at chapters 18 through 20. So it's a little tough to kind of read all of that. So what I try to do is abbreviate a little bit, and throughout the sermon I'll uh, kind of explain and summarize the story to get you caught up. But here's just a snapshot of what, we, what we'll be uh, covering today. So here's 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. This is God's Word. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him in that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever, wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul. And the tambourines with, uh, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang uh, one to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this, was, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands? And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from, from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Let me read for us 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 3. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan's son Saul delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. 
And then finally here, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then sin and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive... Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made uh, David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word alone remains forever. Let me pray for us. Father, what a gift it is to sit and to listen to what you have to say to us tonight in your word. Lord, would you speak? Would you convict us where we need conviction? Would you comfort us where we need comfort? Lord, would we see Jesus afresh in this passage as we learn what it looks like through, through the friendship that you offer us and the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus, the friend of sinners? It's his name we pray. Amen. Um. Again, welcome. If this is your first time to RUF, this is our third week. Okay, so we've been walking through uh, the Old Testament books of First and Second Samuel to, sp- to focus specifically on the life of this man and this king named David. Right, week one we studied in chapter sixteen how God sees differently than mankind. That man is so easily enamored with the outward appearance, but God looks at our hearts because that's what He's concerned with. And the choosing of an unlikely king like David was a living illustration of that truth. And last week in chapter 17, we witnessed God once again using David's weaknesses to display his power and his victory through the the defeating of Goliath. So at this point, I think it would be helpful for us, okay, especially if this is your first time here. I think it would be helpful for us to zoom out and rewind and consider again the story arc and the main characters of 1 and 2 Samuel. Right? Because remember, at this point in biblical history, in the story of God's redemption, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, is at a political leadership transition from judges to kings, from judgeship to kingship. Right? And, and Israel is coming out of a very dark and morally chaotic time period in the life of the judges. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a woman named Hannah. Who is barren, but by God's grace gives birth to a son and a key character named Samuel. And through chapters 1 through 7, it traces the ministry of this prophet Samuel, who's the last judge of Israel. And as we talked about in the first week, after a lot of complaining and groaning, the people of Israel cry out to God to appoint a king over them. Although Samuel, he warns them about this, in God's sovereign plan, he gives the Israelites what they want. And God grants, an Israel, uh, grants Israel a king over them by the name of Saul, who by mankind's standard is, what, is everything you want in a king. And so there, there are a lot of themes right, in the books of First and Second Samuel. Seeing God's opposition to the proud, God's exaltation uh, of the humble, faithfulness in the spite of evil, and the promise of a messianic king. The reason we will spend so much time talking about Saul and David in particular 
is because all of these major themes are actually played out in the way that each of these characters develop and change. It, it plays out in the way that their characters contrast to one another and in the way that they both relate to God himself. So tonight we will zoom back in to chapters 18 through 20 in 1 Samuel. And I'll summarize this for us, okay? And what we're going to consider is how David's relationship between Jonathan and Saul, one begins to blossom and the other begins to wither. We'll consider how this relational king, like us, has friendships and enemies, but how God uses the salvation of friendship to rescue his people. God's rescuing grace never ceases in the lives of his people. And tonight we'll see that the method he uses is friendship. So if you're a note taker tonight, here you go, all right? We'll consider three features of our passage tonight. Very straightforward. Saul the enemy, Jonathan the friend, and the salvation of friendship. Okay, Saul the enemy, Jonathan the friend, and the salvation of friendship. So first, Saul the enemy. In chapter 18, uh, we see in verses 5 through 15 that I read for us. Right, I think many of you have experienced this. Right? I especially think this happens at the beginning of your freshman year. Right? You meet someone in, or, in your orientation group or your fish camp group, and you immediately click. Right? You, you're like, this, is, this person knows me, like that we see each other. Kind of like an Anna and Hans relationship in Frozen. Right? You, you finish each other's sandwiches. Right? Like, where you have this immediate bond, but then after like, a couple of weeks, you kind of both get settled into college. You kind of get more familiar with this place. You start meeting new people. You slowly kind of drift apart, and you, and you realize, like, oh, like, we're actually really different than each other. Or, or even sometimes you meet this person, and then quickly realize, like, there's actually kind of some major unhealth in this relationship. Or something happens, and it completely fractures the relationship. That, that something that seems so promising quickly dissolves and comes crashing down. Well, similarly, Saul and David's relationship kicks off to a wonderful start. Right? There, there seems to be this really strong bond between the two. And after David defeats Goliath, all is well in Israel. Saul appoints David as commander of his army, armies. He clothes him in his armor. He even lets him marry his own daughter. He favors David, David so much that he says, you're not going to your, to your home with your father. You're coming with me. And verse 5 tells us that David's success, it was good in the sight of Saul and, his, and their servants and all the people. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, Because what we witnessed in chapters 18, uh, 18 through 20 was that Saul's favor for David was really fool's gold. And actually self-serving. Because let's not forget the background of Saul's character, okay? Because we are at a point in Saul's life where everything is starting to unravel. And the self-destructive character that was already in Saul's heart is about to be on full display in the way that he relates to David. Remember, Saul was everything that you wanted in a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, it tells us that he was handsome, he was strong, he was tall, he was mighty. So there, there are two big movements in Saul's life. Right, The first half of Saul's life starts with this great military, relational ruling success. But then, what you begin to learn is that Saul starts making some selfish decisions. And he chooses to turn away from the Lord. And then the second half of his life turns quickly and just 
into a downward tragedy where he disobeys God, God, he rejects him, and then God ends up rejecting him as king, and his reign comes to an end. So when David enters Saul's, as Saul's replacement in chapters 16 through 20, we're at a point where Saul's life is beginning to completely come apart. Right? And as the reader, we witness Saul's downward spiral begin with a song that he hears in verse 7. Saul has slayed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Right, this celebratory song, after David defeats Goliath and the Philistines, like, it's supposed to be celebratory. It's not supposed to be some passive-aggressive slight towards Saul. But Saul, as we learn, is not mature or secure enough in God's plan to hear it that way. Right, this is a song that Saul wished he had never heard, and unfortunately throughout his life, will never forget Kind of like that song that, that kind of reminds you of your ex, right? Like, you, you hear it, and it gives you, like, chills, and you, you just want to skip it immediately. Or otherwise, like, you drive around college station, like, super melodramatic, you're not crying. And, I don't know, you go to McDonald's or something, like, reminiscing about the past, right? However you respond, okay? It's a song that depresses you. And sadly, like, this is where Saul allows the seed of jealousy to begin to grow and rule his heart. One author said this, that jealousy is like a scab that you keep picking. The more you pick, the more you allow the wound to fester. Right, let's not under, underestimate the power of jealousy in our relationships. After all, this was the sin in Saul's life that led to multiple attempts of murder in David's life. In chapters 18 through 20, Saul attempts to kill David over eight times. Three times by throwing a spear at him. Twice by sitting into the front lines to face the Philistines. Three more times, once by trying to use his own son, Jonathan. Once by trying to use his own daughter, Michael. And another time by sending his messengers to kill him. You see, jealousy is a harsh master, and, and it destroys relationships. And if we're honest, that is just closer to our hearts than we think. Like, we, we may not physically attempt to murder someone? Like, I hope not. <laughs> but, like, how often do we tear our roommates down and blame it on our humor to make ourselves look better in front, of, in front of others? Like, how often do we think, man, like, I've been coming to RUF all four years, and she shows up, and, like, all the boys give her attention. Or, like, he shows up once, and that's all the girls can talk about. Or, man, like, we show up every week to RUF, and we work so hard, but still thousands upon thousands are showing up at different ministries on Texas A&M's campus. Like, jealousy always places the focus on yourself, because it's a symptom that reveals actually your deepest loves. That's how sin works. Right? The book of James in the New Testament, written almost a thousand years later uh, after our passage was written, perfectly describes Saul's downward spiral of sin in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's how the Bible describes how sin works. Because for, for Saul, his deepest love was himself and his own success. 
that instead of placing his deepest desires and affections on God himself and on God's plans, Saul is lured by the thirst of his own success, which then gives birth to jealousy, which then leads to death, the attempted murder of David. That is sin's awful cycle. Right? Sometimes it is, it's not enough just to recognize that you're jealous. But like asking something deeper than that, like why are you jealous? Like what is your deep desire and your deep love that your jealousy is actually revealing? Like why are you jealous of your roommates? <laughs> why are you jealous of her when she gets so much attention? Like, like why can you be jealous of other ministries on campus, Austin? Probably because there are times that I can think that the measure of ministry success rests on my talents and how many people show up, rather than trusting in God who is sovereign and who is always at work through the power of his word, no matter who shows up and no matter how many people show up. Jealousy always places the focus on yourself, bubbling into self-pity, comparison, competition, anger, fear, division. And according to James 1 and Saul's example, it always leads to murder and death. So how do you kill jealousy from it killing you and your relationships? Right? Saul sees the kingdom, okay? He sees his kingdom slipping through his fingers. And he's now becoming desperate. And he already knows that David is now the new anointed king. And in Hebrew, the word anointed one means Messiah. According to chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. And more importantly, this was God's choice, and it was God's plan. Therefore, the rejection of the anointed Messiah is actually the rejection of God himself. Let me say that again. The rejection of the anointed Messiah is the rejection of God himself. Remember how in week one, my hope is that, is that we would never be able to unsee Jesus in the life of David in our series. Do you hear the echo in the Gospels when Jesus, said, Jesus, who is the true Messiah, says, No one comes to the Father except through me, in John 14, verse 6. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, he says, Whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. You see, Saul's rejection of David as his enemy, because he is so consumed with himself, is actually rejection of God, because David is the one whom God has anointed as, as the Messiah, as the new king. And this leads to our next point, okay? Jonathan the friend. Because there is a stark contrast between Saul and Jonathan, the way that they relate to David. Right? Instead of trying to take David's life, what we see is that Jonathan actually sacrifices for David's flourishing. Jonathan kills jealousy and gives life instead of taking it. Why? Well, do you know what David's anointing means for Jonathan? It means that Jonathan will never be king. You see, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the first king of Israel. He is the blood of Saul. But God chooses David instead. And in this case, the apple falls very, very far from the tree. Because instead of following Saul's example, instead of wallowing in self-pity and groveling in what could have been his, thinking about how much he deserves... Instead of resenting David over God's choice, Jonathan embraced God and his good plan for Israel. 
This is how he kills jealousy and embraces friendship. Jonathan rests his hope and assurance on his beloved Lord and his plan rather than his own. You see, see, Jonathan knew that he was deeply, deeply loved by God, regardless if he was ever going to be king or not. He knew that he was deeply cared for. He knew that God would have been gracious to him even, even in the midst of the Lord rejecting him in the fall. He believed that God was his everlasting joy, even though his girlfriend or his boyfriend broke it off. He would have known that God always cared for him, even though he was so uncertain about what the future holds next year for him. You see, Jonathan is able to look at David and say, if God has anointed you as king over Israel, then I'm going to lay my life down. And he proves this sacrificial friendship And what we see in two major ways, right? First, he makes this covenant with David, proving to him his loyalty that it belongs to David, and that their friendship is not based off of merely convenience. But Jonathan is saying that that I will be a friend to you even when it's not useful to me. And second, he removes his arm and he removes his robes and he takes off his sword and he gives him his bow and his belt, signifying that he has renounced his position of kingship. And transfers the right of succession over to David. Like, this was unheard of in this day. Like, this was totally countercultural. Right? This, this would have been like Mike Elko removing his headset on game day and like handing it to one of the managers on the sideline and his contract like over to him and rooting him on. You know? Let's go, Mike Elko, right? Uh, but like, like, that's how countercultural this would have been. It wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been crazy. But as we've talked about through our series, is God is t- takes the values of the world and he flips them on their head. Because it's out of this assurance of God's plan it, that Jonathan is placing his trust in God that produces this overflowing, scandalous, covenantal friendship for David. The man who is taking his rightful position. Right? And this leads us to our last point, okay? The salvation of friendship. Right? We talked about this in our relationship series in the fall, but I remember when you were a kid, and you like, I don't know, you cut yourself, you put a Band-Aid on yourself, and then you like went swimming all day, and then you got out of the pool and the Band-Aid was gone. Right? Like, instead of a wet Band-Aid, like a true friend is more like cement and concrete. That when actually pressure and elements and adversity is applied the bond actually gets stronger. You see, what's amazing about chapters 18 through 20 is that chapter 18 begins with friendship, and chapter 20 ends with friendship. Throughout 18 and even into chapter 19 and even into chapter 20, it is packed with Saul threatening David's life and attempting to murder him again and again and again. But the theme of friendship brackets and contains that evil. Because twice Jonathan lives out his covenant to David. He fulfills it and he risks his, his, his own life by saving David from his father in chapter 19, in the verse that I read for us, and then in chapter 20. And what the author is communicating is that David, is that David really is saved. That his life is saved from evil and death through friendship. 
That unless Jonathan had bound himself to David in friendship, David's life, it ends in 1 Samuel 19. And God's plan for redeeming the whole world through a king, a son of David, it ends. But because Jonathan committed himself in loyalty and sacrifice and real friendship, David makes it. Right? This teaches us something really important. Okay, that, that tonight, all of us here, actually every person on this campus, is in desperate need of friendship. You need someone to share your soul with. It's how God designed you. Like, you need someone who can look at you and who knows you and who can speak truth and love to you. You need people who you can cry with and who you can laugh with. Like, you need people who love you despite your awkwardness. <laughs> right? We talked about this last semester, but I, I think some of the most challenging years of your life, especially in this category... It's going to be your freshman year of college and most likely your first year after you graduate college. Right? Freshmen, you're experiencing this now, and seniors, you're about to experience this when you graduate. Because in both of those years, you are leaving people in places where you are known and loved. Right? Where friendships are just a little bit more natural because of the setting. And you're going to discover, like, and you maybe are discovering right now, man, like, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And look, I think college is an amazing time to practice this. And let this encourage you tonight. That the best way to make friends is to truly be a friend. I know that sounds simplistic, but, but instead of like people expecting to invite you to places and to be intentional with you, when you reverse that and you start being intentional with others, you will be surprised and begin to discover that there are actually a lot more people out there who feel lonely. And who feel as isolated as you do. Right? This isn't going to solve all your problems of loneliness, but, but this is a great place to start. That if you are lonely, the best thing to do is to be intentional and decide to be a friend to other people. And practically, I don't know, like, that may, may look like showing up to somewhere like REF Large Group or some campus ministry on this campus. Or, or, or just being present. Or being the one who is extending invites. Or getting to know people who are different than you. And asking people a lot of questions about their lives. Let God surprise you in that way. Friendship is a choice and it, it does require intentional pursuit. Right? First Samuel, these chapters are more than just a nice true story about friendship. Right? It's more than just telling us, hey, just go out there and be better friends. Right, because we will never actually begin to be really loyal or truly sacrificial until we see that this story was preparing us for someone else. Right, this passage is screaming out that, yes, salvation comes through friendship, but it comes from David's greater son, the true Messiah, the friend of sinners. And centuries later, in John 15... Jesus himself will be sitting with his disciples, and he will describe the very reason that he came. And he says this, that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And he looks at his disciples, at his beloved, and he says, you are my friends. You see, the scandal of the gospel is that God himself came to this world to make enemies his friends. Like Jonathan to David, Jesus fulfills a sacrificial covenant, a promise that was made 
a very long time ago that we hear echoing throughout the Old Testament and into the new and the coming of Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is Jesus' friendship with us. Fulfillment and fulfilling of covenantal promise in his death on the cross, saying, my life for yours. Uh, I'll end with this, but um, Paige Benton Brown, she, uh, she was an REF intern a long time ago. I think she now lives in Nashville. She's awesome. But uh, she was in, a, in Augusta, Georgia one time visiting her brother, and she was at church, and it was a Sunday morning. And there was a baptism of uh, four boys from Russia who had recently been adopted by a family in their church. And she thought it was great. And so after the service, they had a lunch. And she came over to the mom and she said, wow, like four boys. That, I mean, three, or yeah, four boys. Like, that's crazy. Tell me about that. And the mother just like looked back at her and she goes, well, you know, there were only supposed to be three. But we went through months of paperwork. We did background checks. We did the whole nine yards to go get these boys. And when it finally came to the time when we went to the orphanage in Russia, we walked into the room to bring these three boys back home. And when we got there, our five-year-old refused to leave because he said, I'm not leaving without my bed buddy. And the parents like tried to kind of like play some gymnastics and talk him out of it and were really kind to him. And then finally the, the workers like stepped in and they looked at the little boy and said like, you have parents now. Like, you're supposed to be going to America. This is everything you've been dreaming of. You must go. And the little boy just crosses his arms, and he looks at his bed buddy, and he says, no, I'm not leaving without him. And so the mother looked at Paige and said, so? We left with four boys from Russia. <laughs> like, friends, Jesus, this relational king, he comes to this earth, and he grabs you by the hand. He looks at the Father and he says, I'm not leaving without my bed buddy. I'm not leaving without him or her. You see, you, you will never begin, you'll never begin to be a true friend unless you begin to see that the entire gospel rests on the fact that Christ died for you while you were still an enemy. That is our only hope in this place, in this community, to be one that actually begins to foster true friendship. What if Aggie RUF really became a place of true friendship? What do you think that would begin to look like? I think a good place to start is that we set our eyes on the friend of sinners, this relational thing. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you sent your son to this earth. And he promises to never let us go, to never leave us. And Father, we know that through the fulfilled promise that your son accomplishes through his perfect life. Through dying the death that we all deserve. Through resurrecting into new life so that one day we can be with you forever. Lord, we long for that day. Lord, help us to lay down 
our jealousy, to put it to death, to kill it before it kills us, because you've enabled, enabled us to do so by your gospel. We know what true friendship looks like. So, Father, would you help us? We admit that we need your help. Would Aguiar UF become a place? The stranger who walks in, the sinner who walks in, hears that, that we serve a God, that we serve a Savior who is a friend to sinners, who came, to, who came to save us from our sin. And you've delivered us from that. So would you help us to reflect that in this, in this community? And will we do that with one another? We thank you for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.